0: This is Edward Mazur, Chairman of the City Club of Chicago. Our program
1: today is entitled Workforce Equity, How Corporate Chicago Can Lead the Way. Our panelists include Monica Turnbull from the Health Care Care Service Corporation, Tina Sanders from Phalanx Family Services, and Marie Zrupek-Lynch, Skills for Chicagoland's Future. Our um, moderator today will be City Club board member, Anne St. Germain, and we welcome you to today's program, Workforce Equity,
0: Corporate Chicago Can Lead the Way.
1: Today we have a very interesting and timely program to offer. Workforce Equity, Corporate Chicago Can Lead the Way. Let me introduce you to our panelists today. Monika Turnbull. Monika is Divisional Senior Vice President of Workforce, Talent, and Business Engagement for Health Ser- Healthcare Service Corporation, which operates the Blue Cross and Blue Shield plans in Illinois, Montana, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas. This is an independent licensee of Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. In her role, Monika leads the strategy and processes related to building and retaining high-performing workforce. Monika is an active member of the Chicago community as well. She's a member of several boards and councils, most notably the Girl Scouts of Greater Chicago and Northwest Indiana, and the Blue Cross Blue Shield Institute and Matter Chicago. She is also a 2015 Leadership Greater Chicago Fellow and serves on that organization's board of directors. She was named in 2016 among the most powerful and influential women in Illinois, Illinois Diversity Council. Next, we have Tina Sanders. Tina has served the public for about as long as she can remember. (laughs) She had an early career at the Boys and Girls Clubs of Chicago, and she's been an advocate for young people, early childhood through college, all the time. During her tenure at the club, she experienced all aspects of club life, engaging with the early childhood program, managed the growth of the Workforce Development Initiative, the state-funded Teen Reach programs, and 21st Century programs. She founded Phalanx Family Services, also called Phalanx, on the west side of Chicago. She opened a second location on the far south side of Chicago, and after several years of managing two locations, Tina made the difficult decision to close the west side location and focus all the workforce efforts on the south side, which primarily serves the Roseland, Pullman, and Washington Heights communities. To date, Phalanx has placed more than 20,000 individuals in subsidized and unsubsidized jobs and serves more than 1,800 job seekers annually. Our final panelist is Marie Troopek-Lynch. Marie is the founding president and CEO of Skills for Chicagoland's Future. Skills, a nonprofit, creates demand-driven solutions for employers to get the unemployed and underemployed residents back to work throughout Chicagoland. Marie was a member of Mayor Lori Lightfoot's Business, Economic, and Neighborhood Development Transition Committee and also supported Governor Pritzker's transition into his office as a member of the Job Creation and Economic Opportunity Transition Committee. Previously, Marie, as founding president of Chicago Career Tech, a career retraining initiative for the unemployed in emerging and middle-income Chicagoans, She also spent eight years working for the YMCA in the roles of Executive Vice President of Human Services and Housing. Marie also served on the National Advisory Council on Innovation and Entrepreneurship for the U.S. Department of Commerce. Welcome all to our panelists today. Uh, All right, so the format, we're going to give each of you uh, three to four minutes, to make some remarks, and then we'll go to questions and answers, some of which we received in advance online, and some of which we'll be taking live during the program. Uh, Marie,
2: would you like to start? Yeah, great. Well, thank you to the City Club for having us, um, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Tina and Monika um, as experts in the field. Um, You know, I'm really excited to be talking about this topic, um, as this is one of the most important things, you know, facing our country right now. I want to start by just sharing some maybe some facts in terms of some numbers to maybe frame part of the conversation today. Um, as many of you know, you know, the black and brown community was was significantly impacted by COVID. From a health perspective, um, you know, African-American, Latinx community members were three times as likely to be hospitalized and two times as likely to die from COVID. From a jobs and employment perspective. As you know, um, as many of you may or may not know, McKinsey actually had done an analysis and found that 45 percent of black private sector workers were working in three industries that were most affected by um, COVID layoffs on um, healthcare, retail and food service. Um, finally, if you look at the unemployment rate again, just. Painting some context here for everybody, um, while the national unemployment rate is 6.1 percent, the African American unemployment rate is 9.7 percent, Latino is 7.9 percent, and the white unemployment rate is 5.3 percent. So numbers don't lie, um, and certainly tell a story here, um, which is why it's so important to have inclusive recovery. Um, I also think it's important to talk a little bit about, you know, as we're coming on uh, coming out of this uh, out of COVID, you know, folks have talked a lot about, you know, how they wish things could go back to where they were. Um, I'm not sure I'm on that, you know, that that train, uh, to be honest, because when I look back to what unemployment rate was for our African-American population in 2019, it was 9.5%. So I'm not sure that's a train that we need to be back on. And I think certainly this is a movement and a time where we can actually um, hopefully come out stronger. So I just want to kind of frame some things kind of moving forward. Um, I think, you know, with everything that has occurred over the last year, um, including, um, you know, the George Floyd um, movement along with COVID, I think our employers have really stepped up and, and started to recognize the importance of doing things differently. And, um, we've seen a level of commitment that I have, I've not seen in the last 10 years. Um, Blue Cross Blue Shield is certainly a leader in that. Discover has been a leader in that. We'll talk about that a little bit later today, but certainly, um, companies are looking at not just hiring, um, from our neighborhoods, which have extended, extraordinary talent, but also locating in those neighborhoods. Um, And I'm not going to steal Monika's thunder on that. So I will conclude with that, but uh, I'm looking forward to talking more about that as we have this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you, Marie, for those comments.
1: Um, Next, we'd like to hear from Monika. Yes. Thank you, Marie.
0: You know, so I would not hear the end of it from Marie if I did not call out uh, that I, and, and I knew you are waiting for this, Marie. Uh, Anne-Marie shared a little bit about my bio and, and some of the boards that I serve on. And uh, an additional board that I serve on is Marie's board, Skills for Chicagoland's Future. Uh, and proudly serving that board. It's a, it's a phenomenal board. And I know we'll get into some more about what exactly Skills does and the tremendous impact that they've had on the community. And we're such a proud partner uh, with them on and all of their efforts, and so I uh, just had to get that in there for you, Marie. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about uh, as I as we open it up is um, how an example of how we've worked with Marie and her team there at Skills for Chicagoland's Future, and that's with regards to our Morgan Park facility. And I just have a few slides that I'm going to uh, show and and uh, click through here. Uh, In case uh, anyone on the phone is uh, not or on the web, excuse me, uh, is not familiar with our Morgan Park facility. So you can see there on the screen, uh, it's located at 11840 South Marshfield Avenue. And just a little bit of uh, a a background around our Morgan Park facility about how it came to be and why, you know, we've had this commitment uh, to, to going in and investing deeply into the community. So this facility... Um, was the brainchild of our president and CEO, Maurice Smith. This had been a long-standing vision of his, and he turned that vision uh, into reality. And so we made this commitment in the Morgan Park community because as an organization, we've been in the community for 80 plus years. It's key to who we are as an organization. We're a purpose-driven organization and a significant part of that purpose is being in the community in a meaningful way. And so we really believe that the power of community and how collective action in, in working with the community can drive long-term meaningful change for our members and our employees, right? Because our employees live and work in the communities that we support. So we really believe that creating opportunities and making intentional, uh, intentional investments in the local neighborhoods, such as jobs, um, such as supporting local businesses and increased access to health and well-being is what makes us stronger as an organization, quite frankly, and what makes us stronger, uh, what makes our community stronger. And this is how we get back into kind of this uh, equitable recovery, as as Marie mentioned. Um, and so, Anne-Marie, I don't know if we'll have a chance to come back to I know we're just kind of doing quick opening um, statements, but I did want to share some additional information about the Morgan Park facility Um, If you go to the next slide, we did the groundbreaking in November of 2019, uh, and on this picture you can see here, uh, Marie Smith is standing, what would be to the left of Mayor Lightfoot. So we did this in 2019. The next slide shows a job fair that we did in July of 2020. Uh, so you can see there we're, we're all in masks. We're masked up. And what I want to point out about this, this job fair that we had, again, in partnership with Skills for Cogland's Future, we did, did, we did this job fair 100% externally outside. Obviously, we were really in the, the height of the pandemic at that time, uh, but it was a very socially distanced. We had a lot of people come out. Morgan Park community and surrounding communities. And so, you know, we really wanted to make sure that there was a sense of people being safe, uh, had significant safety precautions that we put in place. Um, but, you know, we really felt it was important during that time uh, when a lot of people were losing their jobs uh, because of the pandemic or or couldn't find jobs even prior to the pandemic, that we were giving people jobs, that we were offering people jobs, we were creating jobs for the Morgan Park community and the surrounding communities. Uh, and so if you a little bit of history uh, about the actual site itself. Um, It was an abandoned Target store. And so we converted that into uh, 130,000 square feet of multi-purpose center, which includes um, a large employee work site. So right now our our employees that are in there are mainly a part of our customer service area. Uh, We've got about just under 200 jobs that are filled in that facility right now. Uh, The plan is to eventually hire A total of 550 jobs uh, that that will be located there in uh, future phases of hiring. And so one of the things I do want to point out, in addition to being a service center, uh, the Morgan Park location also features uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield's second Blue Door uh, Neighborhood Center. And so our first Blue Door Neighborhood Center was opened in April of 2019 in the Pullman Area And so this really represents for us a new way to partner with the communities where we offer, operate. And a quick plug for our Blue Door Neighborhood Centers, we, they offer no-cost programming such as fitness classes, educational classes on chronic health conditions, on stress, on nutrition, on substance abuse. Uh, and as well as information on, on how best to use uh, one's health insurance. And we also uh, offer these services to our, our Medicaid members, and they can meet with care coordinators to manage their health care costs. And, of course, as you can imagine, all of these offerings are currently uh, offered in a virtual environment, but we're looking forward to opening these offices soon. So if you're not familiar with the Morgan Park facility or our Blue Door Neighborhood facilities, please go on our website and and learn more, uh, but wanted to, like I said, open this up and give a real uh, uh, time example of, of what it means to what we feel invest meaningfully and long-term in the community. So thank you, Anne-Marie.
1: Can you just real quickly uh, share the website address so folks can go?
0: Yes, it could be uh, www.hcse.com or www.bcbsil.com. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for that.
1: All right. Um and finally we'd like to hear uh from uh, Tina Sanders.
3: Tina? Good afternoon and I like to thank you for making me a part of this conversation. Manika, I just want to say that we work very closely with uh blue across the Blue Door. Uh, we've been partnering with them over the past three or four years. In fact, uh, you were one of the companies that approached Phalanx because we're a community-based organization in the Roseland area and asked us to, you know, hold a mini job fair. So we were able to recruit many, many uh, community residents and do the uh, some customer service trainings and so forth. And you sent your people over to actually interview people. So thank you. And I think that's the trend that you're going to see now, you're going to see companies, just like Discover, reaching out to community-based organizations to really work hand in hand to really get community residents uh, employed in in some of these businesses. So real briefly about Phalanx Family Services, we've been around for over two years. We are a workforce development agency that provides our wraparound services for youth and adults. Uh, We offer trainings that lead to certifications, state credentials, and job placements. All of our trainings are combined with life skills and uh, job readiness workshops. Our trainings, we do a basic nurse's assistance program. We have an eight-week program that people can come through, graduate, and they earn their straight credentials, and we place them on jobs. Uh, We do food service, security, digital literacy, financial literacy, and we are a reentry uh, center, so we work with people who are returning from prison, and we in turn try to provide them with the life skills, training, and employment they need to get back into the world of work. So in some of our other services for young people, we are a hub uh, for young people in Morgan Park, Rosen area. Under our hub, we provide mentoring, uh, we do juvenile justice programs, We are a summer youth provider. We employ, we service about 300 to 400 youth every summer, finding them uh, job placements, and that program is through the city of Chicago. We have year-round subsidized internship programs. Uh, We have um, anti-violence workshops, social-emotional learning workshops, and we also offer emergency services for our residents. We do rental assistance, mortgage assistance, utility assistance, and crisis intervention. Um, recently, we've been working with Rosen Hospital, being a hub for them, providing uh, COVID testing and the vaccinations. So our push now is really, really to provide education to our community residents, showing them the importance of getting vaccinated. So I, In summing up, I'm glad to be here, and I I want to thank Marie for uh, including me on this. Thanks, Marie.
1: Thank you very much, Tina, for those comments. Before we get to questions, I'd just like to offer a couple of uh, points of information. Um, As you know, uh, City Club of Chicago is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and if you're interested in learning more about City Club, you'd like to become a member, or if you'd like to donate to the cause of keeping public affairs programming like this available to all, please visit cityclub-chicago.org. You can also go to cityclub-chicago.org forward slash membership to join, and you can go to cityclub-chicago.org forward slash donate to support our mission. Thank you all. Uh, Let's go to some questions. And we have quite a few. We're going to get through as many as we can in the time we have today. Um, The first one, which is, I think, directed to all of you, uh, from Anya Flores at the University of Chicago Hospital, Uh, have any of you had career changes uh, in terms of the transition of your career path? and how did you transition to the new roles and what advice would you offer to those who are looking to do the same? Anybody wanna kick off?
3: Well, I will. I My career change came about 20 years ago. I retired uh, from Boys and Girls Club after being there 40 years. And while I was there, I had an opportunity to start the workforce development uh, portion of Boys and Girls Club, and that got me really interested in working with adults. Uh, We've always, I've always worked with young people, and we provide the necessary services and programs to help them, but we'd send them back home to parents who also needed help. Uh, So I said, well, we need to look at working with the whole family. So that was a transition for me, leaving uh, Boys and Girls Club and starting my own company to work with adults and really finding out what it is they really need. How do I connect them to the right jobs? How do I correct them, connect them to the right services they need to be successful? So for me, that was a career changing uh, event. Uh, the transition was fairly smooth. Uh, so it made it much easier for me to start my own company. One of the things that really made it easier, I was able to hire most of the staff that worked with me at Boys and Girls Club, in my in the adult division, with to come with me. So that made it easier, and there was a lot of planning that went into that.
0: Emory, I can add. Uh, you know, I've been with Healthcare Service Corporation for fifteen years, and so while I've not done a lot of uh, you know, career transitions from uh, company to company or industry to industry. I have done a lot of career transitions within uh, within Healthcare Service Corporation. Uh, I've been very fortunate to do so and uh, have gone from roles, uh, whether it be uh, on the operations side to in the business to, to human resources where I sit now. Uh, and so one of the things that has been a theme throughout those 15 years as I've made those different transitions was Understanding what are the were the experiences uh, that, that I were, was trying to um, capture in terms of uh, closing the gaps of my knowledge and understanding. you know one of the things that I tell people within the organization um, is be a, a student of your company, be a student of your industry. And so as I've made my transition to different roles in the organization, being very focused and dedicated on learning, where I was going or, or learning more about where, where I wanted to go uh, and really invested in myself and at the, at appropriate times, ask the organization, uh, you know, to invest in me in terms of uh, either personal development or professional development. And so I would say that's, that's how I would answer that question from Ana is just saying, understanding, right. And not feeling that you have to have everything uh, mapped out, but really understanding are there gaps in, Knowledge in, in terms of what you're pursuing and uh, career opportunities, and and making sure that you're connecting and asking the questions and connecting with people that can help point you in the right direction.
2: Yeah, and okay. I would I would just jump in just really quickly, just because um, I think it pertains to our conversations well about transferable skills. You know, I had the I've had the opportunity. Um, well, I had a theme throughout my career. It's been uh, in government. Uh, in the private sector and in not-for-profit. And in each of those segments, it's always been about doing for others, um, but there's transferable skills, which you take from all of that. And I think, you know, the reason I bring that up is is twofold. One, in terms of when I had the opportunity to actually take all those skills. And then um, with the last recession, to be able to look at um, what was needed in the city and to be asked to help to found an organization um, that was addressing unemployment in a, in a very unique way. I was able to bring all those skills together um, to be able to do that um, and to found the organization and to really, you know, take all the learnings um, and, and think about how do we, you know, put the employer first um, to be able to actually drive change. Um, I think the other thing is, I would say that's also relevant here is, you know, the transferable skill piece has been really critical in this past year. Um, When everybody lost jobs a year ago, right, there was a a big component. What we did at Skills is we were really working with um, individuals to say, like, what are your what are your skill sets and how can you use them differently? And so I think um, that's a constant piece of of um, of the growth uh, when somebody changes career path. Thank you. All right. Uh,
1: we have a question here from Nicole, and I hope I'm saying this right, Jovačević. And uh, this ties actually to uh, Mayor Lightfoot's initiative, Invest Southwest. Nicole's question is, um, you know, how can the community utilize this momentum um, with new employers hopefully moving into the south and west sides? Uh, you know, what can we expect? How can we take advantage of this? And and what might you suggest? Anybody?
2: Well, I'm happy to jump in. Um, so I think a few things, you know, first, I would say in terms of the community is, um, I think, you know, both an the example of Blue Cross Blue Shield, and then um, Discover, you know, who's, who's located now in Chatham, I think both these um, companies have also made part of their mandate, not just hiring from the community, but also being a community center and are opening up their doors um, to be able to utilize their facility for the community. So I think certainly any of the community organizations, um, you know, certainly reach out to, you know, reach out to Blue Cross, reach out to us, reach out to, um, you know, Discover. Um, again, we can help with that as well. But, you know, they want to participate in the neighborhood. So I think that's one piece is to the actual facility. Second is in terms of the jobs, um, you know, certainly, you know, I think both organizations have a, a real commitment. And by the way, I would add AT&T and JP Morgan Chase also have a number of locations in the communities as well as some other companies. And I think all these, you know, companies are really interested in hiring the talent in the neighborhood. So I think, you know, um, go directly to the company, go to an organization like skills. You know, we're helping to place, Phalanx is helping to do placements there. Um, but certainly, you know, I think everybody has a, you know, one of the things I said at the Discover opening was people should have the ability to be able to go to your, parent teacher conference, um, when those things are back in person again, to be able to go to a soccer game, to be able to be home for dinner and not have, you know, one and a half hour commute. Um, and so I think, you know, getting, getting, uh, those jobs. And then the final piece I would say, Is if there is not an employer in your community, right, that is attractive? I think you can also reach out to organizations again, like ourselves um, and others, so that we do we can connect you to other types of both pathway programs that can help you get you know skilled up, or to actual jobs in other companies um, which are very interested in in. in working with individuals. And and the final thing, I just want to say on this Invest Southwest piece is I think it really has put a spotlight on 10 communities, um, but I think it's actually having a, you know, a lovely kind of domino effect of like, okay, what are those zip codes around those communities and how, you know, employers are looking at how to have a broader impact.
0: You know, Marie, I would add to that and say any any new companies going into these communities is listen, right? Have focus groups, listening tours, really understand what are the needs of the community, right? And so I think that's we we did that with our Blue Door Neighborhood Centers and with, with Morgan Park and making sure that you're that that these organizations are finding ways to have meaningful connections with the community and build true relationships with the community um, will go a long way. Otherwise you know the community won't trust that what you're doing is genuine or well meaning. Right. So it's kind of like the saying people won't care what you know until they know that you care right? So it's not just, it can't be, we go in the community and, and because it's, you know, kind of the on-trend thing to do, it's what is the long-term, you know, playbook in terms of why they're going into the community, the outcomes that they're driving about being into the community and being there for the long-term, right? And so uh, that's that's the advice that I would give to that question. It's be- before you kind of put in put down roots, you know, get into the community, ask the questions, listen, just to be open to to hearing and making sure that you're delivering on, you know, what the community needs from, from large, from large scale organizations entering that space.
3: I would just echo what Maria Maninka has said. It's important that uh, the businesses is com- coming in bringing their value to the community and that the community can trust them. And it's also important that they connect to agencies such as Felix, uh to, you know, have a pulse on the community in terms of what are the needs, uh, what kind of training can we bring into the community to help them get ready for these jobs?
1: Thank you for that. All right, now we have a couple of themes that are bubbling up here in the questions um, related to what you all have been talking about. One is the equitable and inclusive recovery, economic and pandemic-wise. And the other is reducing barriers to employment, which are very related. Um, so let's let's take a few of these questions. I'll I'll try to do them one at a time so everyone can comment. Um, so uh, one: Do employers have a corporate social responsibility to hire from underserved communities? What's the business case for doing so with authenticity and deliberation?
0: Yeah, I can I can take that, Anne-Marie. So, pardon me, I'm going to share just some some data with you, just some numbers. So, to answer the first part of your question, uh, yes, right? simply yes, uh, corporations have a have a social responsibility, right? And so, one of the things in some of the studies that we looked at, it's it's no surprise to anyone that is is tuning in that this pandemic will leave a legacy of inequitable impact on people, right? So, when we look at you know from women to racial minorities to low-income population, women's economic security is more at risk as a result of this pandemic. Specifically, 19% of women are at higher risk uh, to lose their job than men. When we talk about racial minorities in the U.S. uh, that face a greater uh, inequity, so two times uh, percent racial minorities reduction uh, for Black women specifically, um, of employment versus White women, uh, two times, re- and that reduction is they face unemployment. I should clarify. Um, and then, when it comes to low income and in- informal sector workers, uh, who are the most impacted, we've seen a 60% decline in income of informal workers um, just in the first month of the pandemic. So that was the first month, and you know you can extrapolate that forward as things have continued. You know, and so back to the kind of the the piece about social responsibility you know people expect what we're seeing from studies like Mercer and Glassdoor people expect companies to come out of this pandemic being better citizens being better global citizens and so one of the the uh, surveys that came out is that one in 3 employees stated that they would prefer to work for an organization that shows responsibility To all stakeholders, both internal to that organization, external, whether it be your direct members and customers, um, or the community at large. Uh, It's four times more likely, as studies have shown, that a thriving employee works for a company that pushes for pay equity and promotion decisions, and that there's transparency around that. And then 76% of job seekers said that a diverse workforce. Was important when evaluating companies and job offers, and I think we're going to continue uh, to see that even more. Uh, you know, a hunger and an appetite for uh, for job seekers to to see a diverse workforce. And so, when you ask the question, "Is there a business case for this?" Yes, I mean, all all of that was meant to you know uh, shine the light on what the business case is for that is. But also, in terms of you know, yeah, obviously, I'm in the corporate sector, so we think a lot and talk a lot about this war for talent. And the war for talent has really uh, shifted now for a number of reasons as a result of the pandemic. Um, and a big part of that has been location, which is another question. You know, I know you're going to get to that question as well. But for us, as we think about how we're going to address this nuanced uh, dynamic of this war for talent, you know, one thing that all companies should be looking at is, is having access to larger talent pools, right? So as we think about how we compete for that, for us, it's going to be vitally important that if our, to, to expand that pool and go deep, right? So both the breadth and depth of those relationships, because of our competitors are hiring from HBCUs and Latino serving colleges and universities and uh, hiring from underserved and underrepresented populations, they will have an advantage, uh, you know, over us, right? And so that's where we're really looking at as we move things forward. We have been, but as we continue to move forward, how do we both open that pool, make that pool larger, but go deeper. And part of that going deeper is making sure that we've got the right partners like a phalanx, like uh, skills for Chicagoland's future to help us understand where that talent is and getting get, you know, ready access to that pool. So I'll pause there. Just wanted to share a little bit of my insight.
2: I, I just want to add a couple of things. I think I think Minika just I mean she hit this, you know, beautifully, I think with all these stats. Um and I just I just wanted maybe kind of, you know, add these three things. One is, you know, the, a lot of what she talked about is, you know, number one, employers are demanding it. I mean, it's employee, sorry, employees are demanding it. It's just, it is just a critical piece. And she covered that. I think number two is it's good for business. And why I say it's good for businesses. If you look at the last um, recession, one of the studies that was done in the last recession was it showed that if somebody had been unemployed, they were more likely to stay and have a higher retention rate at a company than those who had who had stayed employed, I suspect when this is done, we're going to see the same type of thing. And so, you know, there's an ability to actually reach out and to again, there's a that's just great. You know, when there's lower retention for a company, it's just it, you know it's better for the bottom line. So, I, I suspect we're going to see that again. And then the third piece is, you know, maybe maybe it's not a business case, but I, I think it should be a business case, which is it's a moral imperative. And and what I mean by that in particular is there was this great. Um, article that was written um, by Brookings recently, which talked about the fact that it really pushed and said, you know, everybody talks about a skills gap. Well, there's also an access gap that's happening here. And it, it was like, it's actually, and they were actually positioning that it was stronger. And that the reality is, you know, this is something skills has talked about forever. And we, we didn't write the article, but it was all about the fact that it's getting access to that job. That's so critical, which is why like when Minika talks about the different types of reach out they're doing to different types of organizations um, and colleges and universities to be able to access a different type of talent. um, It really helps to level the playing field. And I think we have a moral responsibility to do that.
3: All, all right. right. Oh, go ahead, it's Tina. Please just a comment. One of the things we do when we uh, try to match uh our participants with businesses, we, we sell them on the on the company in terms of, you know, these are their benefits, these this is a salary, you know, the opportunity for you to grow, There's there. So I think that's important and, and that's how we operate. And so for those businesses to retain people, I think they have to make sure that their benefit plans, their salaries that are always uh, the best they can be.
1: All right. Thanks. Um, Echoing what Marie just said about um, moral imperative, uh, we have a comment. Community disinvestment and an historic lack of opportunity in Chicago's communities of color have been a persistent problem and led to long term unemployment and underemployment among black and brown Chicagoans exacerbated by the pandemic. Corporate Chicago has a moral responsibility. To do things differently, and keying off of that, let's go to that reducing barriers to employment piece uh, question. What what uh, advice would you have for Chicago employers who want to hire more people from underserved communities, but may not know quite how to go about it?
0: Call me. Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> <Because I'm right. laughs> Ready go? <laughs> <laughs> no, I. You know, I would say it's it's easier than you think, right? I think sometimes we make you know things seem daunting and big and and, and problems, but it, the, but they're really not, right? It's about reaching out. It's understanding, you know, who's who's doing this, right? And and un, and connecting with them. Connect. I can't. We. It's a common theme that you've heard, right? You've got partners in the community that are that are ready, willing, and able to help, right? And so. You know, we've we've got a playbook. You know, again, we're a large corporate organization. We've got a playbook, and we're happy uh, to share. And we're happy to sit down and have conversations. and And I think in in that is something that we need to start doing and getting that out. And having you know having this the City Club, you know, put this on right. And so, thank you so much to the City Club of Chicago for putting this on and getting the word out and letting you know other organizations know that it's possible. And you've got people here that are, are willing to help and willing to share that knowledge. Marie and I have talked about this. How do we, how can we, you know, keep doing this? How can we, you know, then maybe the next conversation is pulling discover in and we could share about kind of, you know, how that worked with discover. I connected, Marie connected us uh, discover and blue cross together and uh, you know, discover opened up their, their site in Chatham. So it's about creating a coalition for this. Uh, and once particularly in the corporate org, in the corporate setting, Um, once people understand there's a way to go about doing it because at first it can seem so daunting. And I'm not going to say that it's not, it comes with, you know, there are, there are starts and stops to it. There are nuances. Right. Um, But if you've got the, again, with the the right focus um, you know, I know we'll we'll talk about roadmaps and all of that later, you know, later and kind of what is the roadmap for this for other companies, but if you've got the right focus uh, behind this, then you can make it happen. It is it is certainly doable, and uh, you know, really, I'm really proud to work with this company. Uh, like I said, I've been here for 15 years. Uh, there's a lot of reasons uh, I've stayed with this company for 15 years, and what we've been able to do, uh, and and taking what I would say going to the next level of how we show up in the community is one of the reasons I stay.
2: Just to build on that, I, you know, I was going to add. I think it's about challenging the status quo right? I mean, part of how you remove the barriers is you challenge it. And what I, so let me be specific on that, right? Um, you know, one is, you know, when you're looking at your typical recruitment process, it's asking questions like, well, wait a minute, why, what is this assessment actually really doing? And is it, you know, is it inequitably, you know, locking out a number of individuals who, you know, who maybe shouldn't be, like, what, what are we doing in that assessment process? It could be looking at, do we really need do we really need that college degree or is that just something that feels like that was important? You know, asking that question on, you know, on the as Monica talked about on the, you know, the, D- the Discover and Blue Cross piece. And if you don't mind teeing up and showing the slide of Discover, um, that was Discover, you know, showing their location. If somebody can pull that up. Um, that was actually Discover saying to themselves, like, we want to do this different. And they will tell you, you know, when they when they announced here in Chatham. You know, I was part of, we were part of that process with them, you know, very we we're in a confidential process with them for a year. We were able to connect them with um, Nico, which was incredible to connect them to do that. But when they were looking, you know, one of the things they shared is that the site selection process would not have led them to any urban neighborhood, frankly. Um, you know, that the real estate selection process is going to take them out to a suburban area. Um, But the reality is when you look at where the talent is. It's actually in the neighborhoods. And we actually, you know, did some, um, analysis for them and showed how far away the closest call centers were and the amount of, you know, amount of, um, transportation issues that were occurring and, and how they could actually locate there. Um, and, you know, and, and, and Discover did that. Um, and so again, it was, it was challenging that status quo. I think the other thing, just using another example, because I think examples are real is I also want to pull up JPMorgan Chase. Um, you may recall, you know, about a year ago, they had this, you know, this whole initiative the second chance program and, you know, Jamie diamond, their CEO, you can take the slides down. Um, but Jamie diamond, the CEO actually had talked about how it was important to challenge the status quo and actually look at the federal regulations that were, um, disallowing individuals who had some type of background. And so JP Morgan Chase went in hard, created a pilot program here in Chicago that we and Safer and Cara were a part of. Um, and and actually then he actually put his team on challenging at the federal level the regulations that said they couldn't hire individuals who had backgrounds. Um, we've been a part of that pilot project. I'm not going to get ahead of what those results are except to tell you that they're very encouraging. Um, and that, you know, it's it's that type of leadership that's making the difference. Um, And I think everybody has that ability to do that at their company and and, uh, in their roles as executives. All right,
1: anybody else? Any other comments? Okay, let's move on. Uh, This comes from Peggy Miller. Uh, What are some effective techniques to embrace generational cultural differences in the workplace? You know, for us,
0: uh, you know, we have what many uh, organizations have. You know, we, we call them business resource groups, employee resource groups, affinity groups. They go by a, a number of different names. We have one here at Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, that is for multi It's multi-generational uh, business resource groups, and so you know, that's and that's just one solution, right? We and we use that no matter what generation you are coming together on. You know, and 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 then service to the organization for one, you know. Connecting right as as fellow coworkers and and colleagues um, to understand kind of what that working dynamic is, and then you know the the, the second goal is to getting that collective diversity in generation in experience and experience uh, as as people and as professionals, and how that collective mindset can come together to be in service of the organization. But I think you know we're talking about different generations in the workforce, I think you have to uh, understand it. You have to acknowledge it and you have to find, and you have to make sure that, that uh, others understand that there are different dynamics and how people come together and working with teams and how people come together in, you know, um, vert- both vertical and horizontal working relationships and create space uh, for that dialogue to happen and create space that, uh, so that people can understand those dynamics and, and what makes people most successful uh, in, in teaming together and working together. But for us, I, like I said, I think leveraging our, our business, research, business resource groups to help with that uh, has been very beneficial.
1: Anyone else? Okay. Um, what can businesses do? And you touched on this a little bit earlier, but let's, let's focus on it for a minute. What can businesses do to be an employer of choice for those seeking jobs?
3: Well, I, Go ahead, I think Gina. it's important that the businesses, uh, let me just say in my community, we have small businesses and we've been working with them to be uh, businesses of choice to our clientele. But, our, you know, we tell them you've got to provide a living wage uh, right now. Uh, it's hard to get people to come back to work. Uh, they aren't making living wages when they were working and with the unemployment, the stimulus, they're kind of comfortable right now. Uh, but that's, you know, that's going to go away. So so we're working with companies in our areas, you know, to at least increase their living wage, uh, look at better benefits, uh, sort of change the way they look at uh, uh, reentry uh people because they you know the backgrounds they are some of the backgrounds are just really drug backgrounds. Come on, you can change your policies to let these people go back to work. So I think for me, those are the important things.
0: Yeah, I would agree with Tina, just to quickly add on to there, it really goes back, Amory, to your question around um the reducing barriers, right? Taking a, a hard look at what those barriers are, those barriers for entry. And, uh, and showing that those barriers have been addressed and mitigated. Um, when we're talking about looking at uh, hiring and promotion practices, right? That's really internal, but what happens even prior to getting internal, uh, looking internal, looking at job descriptions, right? Reviewing those descriptions for relevancy of required experiences and credentials and, and saying, where can, where can we change? Where can things loosen? Not to say you're devaluing the job, but, you know, people bring different experiences to them that, you know, maybe not don't fit in the the traditional uh, job structure, Uh, you know, and and architecture. So really understanding where those opportunities um, to to look systemically within, uh, you know, recruiting and hiring practices to to see where you can eliminate those barriers. And once you do that, and when people say, hey, this, you know, company X is taking a a more dynamic approach to how they they source talent and bring on talent and advance talent when that's in, word of mouth gets out pretty quickly, right? So, I think, you know, that's, that's one of those ways it really directly um, dovetails to the discussion around barriers.
2: If you don't mind, I just want to add, you know, one piece on this. So I think we've talked about on this, you know, on this panel today, one, we've talked about locate in the neighborhoods, right? And you don't have to have a thousand employees, right? You can also have a hundred employees or 50 employees, right? Um, we actually have skills a, um a program, a neighborhood consulting services program, where we're talking to employers confidentially and actually trying to group employers who actually have smaller numbers of employees, but want to go into the neighborhood. So, you know, that's one way, locate. <laughs> Second, we've talked about is hiring, um, which I think we've already covered. Third, I would say, though, is innovate. Um be creative partner you know take some risks right um you know 3 years ago we we launched a youth um a youth set of career pathway programs with employers and i'll tell you the first year was hard because we were creating these like 2 year pathway programs with city colleges with chicago urban league with you know walgreens um and rush university and other companies to to really look at you know bringing folks along the path along a 2 year period and you have to innovate to actually create solutions so take a risk and and try something new and fail fast um, and then move forward. And then the final thing I would say is just engage um, engage with the community. And I, I love what you know, Monika said, and we've talked to our employers as well, is you want to be invited in. Um, and so you want to engage and engage with the community organizations that are there.
1: All right. Um, this comes from Takesha King, Walden University. There's also a couple of other similar questions, so I'm melding them. Um, how can we end systemic racism in the workplace, which limits opportunities and advancement, including for highly educated professionals?
0: So City Club of Chicago, I think we need a whole session on that question. <laughs> it's an excellent question. And I think, uh, you know, it's going to sound cliche, uh, but it's, it's very true. It, it starts at the top. It starts with uh, leaders, your senior most leaders, their commitment um, to understanding one first acknowledging where those opportunities exist for uh, systemic racism, uh, understanding, listening, go back to listening, listening to the workforce, right? Employees should should have have space to be able to share those concerns and when those concerns are raised and shared, uh, that they're listened to, that they're acknowledged. Um, that they're they're acted upon and that things are mitigated. But again, uh, I can't say it enough. It really does start from the top. Leadership sets the tone for the organization, uh, and then from there, it's it's again being open and transparent about what your practices are, uh, and and it's it's holding uh, leaders and others accountable. You know, for us, uh, we have a strong commitment uh, to diversity, equity, and inclusion. In addition to um, uh, my job, uh, as you heard when anne gave my, my title, uh, which includes work, uh, workforce talent and business engagement. Uh, I also serve as the chief diversity equity and inclusion officer here for the organization. So this is very much uh, a part of my day to day. And one of the things that we rolled out last year, uh, where we de- directly tied our, uh, leader uh, bonuses, bonus dollars for our leaders, meaning vice presidents and above, um, to, uh, our, our efforts around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, so we've got, you know, nine goals in total uh, that those leaders are accountable for that just focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's not, you know, it's, it, and it's, it's very substantive things that these leaders that we're holding these leaders accountable for uh, on a continued basis. And so that was, you know, endorsed by not only our president and CEO, but our board of directors, right? So it's it's if you don't make it one uh, something that people can be measured against, held accountable for, and something that's backed at the most uh, senior levels in the organization, uh, it, that, it that's when it gets out of control, right? That's when it get it, when it goes unchecked, right? And so you, it's about holding holding people accountable. It's it's about sharing both internally and externally that this may it this means something. And again, it's not because. You're doing it because it's on trend you're doing it because you recognize that it's what's best for business it's what's best for your employees it's what's best for the community at large and to echo marie it's a it's a moral imperative quite frankly mm-hmm.
1: indeed all right um, we have one more question and then we're going to segue into um, some final thoughts from each of you that you want to make sure our audience takes away um First, we have Sonia Hunter. How can the average person assist in your initiatives?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: it's a good one
2: well i I'm sure t- Tina, did you want to go first or do you
3: well we're we're a small community based organization in the uh, Rose and Pullman area, so we 're always looking for volunteers. Uh, we're looking we, we sponsor various events throughout the years where we're looking for volunteers. We do clothing drives uh, uh, throughout the year So our participants have clothing when they go on interview or go go, you know, go uh, seeking jobs. So we're always open to uh, contributions. Uh, they can be uh, cash or, you know, material contributions. So uh if you go to our website, Felix Group Services, uh, you'll find our information, and we'd be glad to, uh, you know, talk to you more about what you can do for Felix and and how we can incorporate maybe some of the skills or talents that you have uh, as a part of Felix.
2: Thanks. Ed. So, uh, you know, I would add from the skills side, um, you know, the skills, we put about uh, 1,200 unemployed and underemployed individuals into jobs every year just in Chicago with about anywhere each year from 35 to 50 companies. Um, and so in terms of, you know, I appreciate this question in terms of what the average person can do. So. First is, I would say, refer folks to us. Um, you know, if you have, if you know people that are unemployed or underemployed and are having difficulty, please send them to our website. Our job seeker website is scfjobs.com. Um, and so send them there. Um, <clears throat> if you are interested in, you know, certainly in donating, just as Tina's saying, I mean, we, we all rely on, um, you know, private fundraising, you're interested in donating, you can go to our website, skillsforchicagolandsfuture.com. Um, and certainly there's a donate page there. If you have a, you know, maybe you, yourself or your neighbor, it, it, you know, as a company that is interested in hiring, um, you can also go to our website and we can, our business development team will get in, in touch. And then finally, in terms of, um volunteer opportunities, I would say, you know, certainly let us know as well. You can contact us there. But I would also share that Tina and I are also part of what's called the CBO Collective, which is 15 workforce development organizations across the city. Um, And so I would also say you can always come to either of us and we can also help make introductions to the broader um, not-for-profit community. Um, If there's an organization that's a particular fit, we're just happy to see great volunteers in Chicago get connected.
1: Great. All right. We're going to wrap up. Uh, We'd like to hear from each of you for about a minute. Uh, Certainly, this has been a very robust and interesting conversation. I think we all learned something uh, today. Uh, And I'd like you to, as you make your final comments, if you could just recap a little bit about the roadmap for other companies. You know, I take away uh, as a listener today, the importance of a comprehensive approach and the importance of community partners and uh, building momentum over time. Um, So again, you know, roadmap for other companies and anything else you would like to leave our audience with today. Let's start with uh, Monika. Yes, thank you, Anne-Marie. So again, thank you to the City Club of
0: Chicago uh, for this invitation. I've really enjoyed this and uh, sharing uh, the stage here with uh, Marie and Tina. Thank you both. Uh, I would say in terms of Uh, the roadmap, right? It's about, you know, as you're thinking, as organizations are thinking about this, as corporate organizations are thinking about this, what's the destination, right? What's the purpose? What are the outcomes uh, that they're trying to drive? Uh, And and most importantly, um, in order to truly help advance economic opportunity in the community, you have to build for sustainability. And what I mean by build for sustainability is that, you know, it has to be agnostic. Leaders, right? Leaders will come and go. As I mentioned, our, you know, this is the brainchild of our president, CEO Maurice Smith. Uh, But if Maurice is not in his, if if Maurice, you know, goes and does something else, right, and someone else steps in, Morgan Park Blue Door Neighborhood Center should not go away, right? So it's, so it has to be embedded in the DNA of the organization, uh, embedded in our culture, and embedded in terms of what truly is what's best for the community and creating that economic impact for the community. So build for sustainability. And one last point um, that I want to talk about, which was really that helped to kind of be kind of our our uh, North Star, if you will, um, you know, through what we do and how we are investing in the community is you hear experts talk about this notion of the last mile, right? And that last mile, it means that it's, it's difficult for those in underserved populations to get that last mile or two, uh, to you know, from the train or the bus station into the workplace, right? So as you think about what you can do, posting jobs and creating jobs and is, is great in terms of you know generating uh, open requisitions for jobs. but if you're in, 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 if you're saying even if you go out to the community recruit, but if you still have a problem where you've got you know significant portions of that community that haven't that still are facing a barrier because they cannot get that one let make commute that last mile or two from the train or the bus, then that's a gap that you have to solve for. Right. So I think that's what I'll leave with. It's, you know, as, as organizations are thinking about, you know, investing in being, locating in, locating in organ, in neighborhoods, excuse me, in communities, you know, th- take that notion of last mile with you and what can be, what you can be doing in a meaningful way. Even if it's not putting a physical center in a community, are you creating shuttle services, things like that? Other ways to make that connection and go that, that next step in order to make sure that, uh, you're connecting, uh, people with opportunity.
1: All right. Closing comments. Marie.
2: Yeah. um, I think, you know, one is just a recap. I think I I talked a lot about challenging the status quo. Um, And so I would encourage, you know, whatever level you are in an organization to challenge that, um, whether it be assessments or whether it be, um, you know, degrees or frankly, you know, where you're going to locate a physical presence. Um, Number two, I'd say is partner with experts. Um, so, you know, if companies doing a strategic plan, they're gonna, they're gonna partner with the big consulting firms. Um, if you want to hire from the neighborhoods, you should be partnering with organizations that that's, that's what we do. Um, that's what we do on a daily basis. And so find those experts. Um, just as a, you know, example, Blue Cross, Blue Shields, their very first, um, Class at you know the Morgan Park facility, fifty percent of the placements came through skills, um, and so you know they partnered in that respect, and then in other organizations. So partner with experts. Um, third, I would say for companies that are really interested, I would highly recommend that they join the corporate coalition. Um, the corporate coalition is you know truly a bunch of companies that have come together to really focus on what they can do to really impact um, South and West Side neighborhoods. I think that'd be a great piece to join. Um, and then fourth, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't say hire. Uh, Be intentional, set metrics, set goals, um, work with organizations that are going to help you to hire from the neighborhoods um, and hire those that are unemployed or underemployed, uh, because that is actually going to, you know, that's actually going to change the world versus just stealing from other companies.
1: Thank you. And Tina.
3: I just want to thank City Club for this opportunity, and I enjoyed being on the panel with Monika and Marie. Um, And I just want to say to businesses, you know, we want them welcome to welcome them to come to Pullman and and Roseland and really check us out, check Felix out. We have some other agencies here that would love to work with companies. Uh, We have uh, some great people that live in our community. So we really want to take this opportunity to have businesses reach out to us.
1: All right, thank you very much to our panelists today. It's been a great pleasure to host. um, Again, uh, Marie Trupik lynch Monika Turnbull, and Tina Sanders. Uh, We do have something for you um, as a token of our thanks, um, which is the highly desirable and sought after City Club mug. Um, And you will also receive a one-year complimentary membership in City Club of Chicago. Before we go, let me just say again, please go to cityclub-chicago.org to join, to donate, to find out more about our programming and what's coming up next. And again, thank you very much. We are adjourned.